All right, at this time, we're going to have our second message for today, brought to us by Pastor Steve Andrews, entitled, How to Overcome the World. Greetings to all here that are here and to those that may be tuned in. Uh, yeah, I'm on. <laughs> there we go. Um, I was at a funeral many years ago, um, one of my wife's relatives had passed and it was kind of a long funeral, <laughs> tend to be a little long. But one of the things that kind of um, got to me and made me a little upset was that, and this, remember, this is a funeral, and the pastor that was performing the funeral got up there and said, everybody raise your hand and accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and you shall be saved. And I got to thinking, I got to meditating about that. His implication was that you don't have to do anything once you've done this. There's nothing you have to do, you know. You, you're saved. You just accept it. And there was no altar calls, nothing, you know, no one to, to come to the... Um, and there was, I'm assuming that he was, that he would have asked, answered questions. We didn't stay around long enough for uh, the rest of the, uh, the time. But as I began to, to think about it, I realized the things that, that were in that funeral, and it was, it was quite uh, a uh, you know, sad funeral. Uh, people were crying and because of the loss. But I, get a, I got to thinking, well, he's missing some things. Like Jesus said to take up your cross and follow me. Well, that's a burden. <laughs> Take up your cross and follow me. That's a burden. Uh, he says, if you um, are going to follow me and you plow the field and you look back after you've started going in that direction, you're not worthy of the kingdom of God. He also said, and they said, well, you're your mom, your dad, you know, all your, your, your relatives are out here. And Jesus says, these are mine, the ones that follow me, who understand and know me. And Jesus also says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And all of those things were kind of going through my head as I began to think about how that just did not fit with what the scripture really is, is talking about. And to be an overcomer, and especially to overcome the world, and to follow Jesus, there is more than just accepting his name. And it has to have, be an understanding of the whole, of the plan of God. What we just, Ian was talking about the Sabbath, and it's part of the plan of God. I was into the first John, not not the book of John, but in first John, and 
I had talked about, and I think to, to, to John out here, <laughs> um, about how the, they had added verse 7 in chapter 5. For there, there, there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, uh, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these are one. Well, we understand that that was taken out. The, the later translations don't even have that in there. And if you want to understand that Paul, when he made an epistle, he only acknowledged the Father and the Son. There was no acknowledgement of the Spirit. So we understand uh, from the Scriptures that um, this is a spurious um, entry. But this whole chapter is very, very, very profound. In verse 5 is where I wanted to start. Who is it that overcomes the world? So, (laughs) how do you overcome the world? Who is it that overcomes the world? But he that believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Okay, if you took that out of context, like maybe some of them did, you would realize that that's not everything. That's not all of it. This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that bears witness because the Spirit is truth. If you skip past 7, if you, if you have a King James Version, and go to verse 8. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree in one. So that very much agrees with verse 6. Verse 6 and verse 8 agree with each other, and, and that is the truth. If we receive the witness of men and the witness of God, for, uh, of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he has testified of his Son. He that believes on the Son of God has the witness in himself. He that believes not God has made him a liar, because he believes not the record that God gave, uh, uh, gave of his Son. And this is the record that God has given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that has the Son has life. And he that has not the Son has not life. These things I have written to you that you believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. So we have all of this understanding from John about believing Jesus and believing on his name. In verse 14 it says, And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petition that we have desired of him. And that's so how, when we pray, that's how we should look at it. What struck me more than anything in this chapter was the the three that bear witness. And so I wanted to to take the time to go through, and I'm I'm not sure. I think this message is going to probably be a little 
uh, like m maybe uh, a couple of parts, because how to overcome the world is more than just the, the things that I can bring today. Um, it, it's a it's a way of life. It is an understanding of what God wants in your life. It is the truth that He reveals in your life and the truth that He has for you. And all of those things go together. And uh, just like the Old Testament says, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little, we have to, to put it all together to come to comprehend the will of God and the will of Jesus Christ. If you love me, keep my commandments. And just as was read, not one of those commandments has been done away with because the jot and the tittle are the markings of the Hebrew old the Torah. So, uh, and they knew the Torah really well. They knew that old, those first five books. And so when he said that, they understood that. They understood what he was talking about. So let's look at the, the at water. Let's. <laughs> Our body is mostly water. I mean, something that God created that is so, you so ubiquitous and so powerful. The formula for it is two hydrogens and one oxygen. Two hydrogens and one oxygen. H2O. That's water. It is the most universal solvent. Given enough time, water can dissolve whole mountains <laughs> and, and change the form of rivers and lakes and streams. When I was a when I was a kid and went fishing a lot on Spring Creek, I wish used to look forward to the, the spring rains, because when we go down there, the creek would always be different. It would rise up and be you know flowing really really strong, and it would change the the whole face of the of the creek. And water is everywhere, and it's a part of of everything in, in the creation. God separated the water. The waters were all over. He separated them so that there would be, um, there would be seasons. There would be the, the um, coming of um, the different uh, seasons with the times in which the rains and different things would, would come upon the earth. Um, Because of the wickedness of man, God used water, not only just the oceans, but the waters under, under the under, underground and brought those up and killed all that were on the earth and brought Noah, righteous, and his family through the flood. Israel crossing the Red Sea and the killing of the slave owners, the slave uh, People that had them enslaved, their oppressors, were drowned. <laughs> and as we said, that uh, Pharaoh didn't get out. He didn't make it. He, he was also drowned because he, he went through. So the, God used the waters to, to wipe that out. And it was a kind of uh, a baptism because they came across and they were saved. They were on the other side and the water had killed them. And then 
the Red Sea. And then Israel going and crossing the Jordan into the land, into the promised land. And that, that parted and they walked dry shot across it. And so water has been used in the scriptures all the way through. Let's turn to John. Uh, let's see. I wanted to turn to um, John, the fourth chapter, first. I have one in here that I didn't uh, give to Brian, so I'll do it last. And then we're very familiar with this one. The lady, the Samaritan at the well. But it's a very interesting thing how Jesus uses um, water to help to understand a spiritual concept. In verse, uh, let's start in verse 4. And he must needs go through Samaria. Then comes he to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his uh, son Joseph. Now Jacob, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There comes a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus says to her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then said the woman of Samaria to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, Give me to drink, you would have asked of him, and he would have given you living water living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From where then have you the living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, which gave us this well, and, and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? And Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water shall thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. This well, this spirit that dwells in us is like a well of water. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come here to draw. And then Jesus says, Well, Go call your husband and come here. And we find, we know that um, she didn't have it. And, and he had revealed to her uh, something very profound about herself and about her own life. And, and, and so he used this example to help us to understand about the living water that is Jesus Christ. And if we come to him, that well of water springing forth, it's more than just raising your hand and saying, I accept Jesus Christ. It's better, it's more in understanding who he is and what he is doing in our life and how we are growing in our life. 
In Acts, the sec, uh, second chapter, verse 38, everything, everybody under, uh, knows that. Um, to repent and be baptized um, in the name of Jesus Christ. But I, so let's go to Romans, the sixth chapter. And baptism is an immersion. It is not sprinkling. It is total immersion. In Romans, the sixth chapter, Paul helps us to really understand the depth of the commitment that we need to make. And we've just come through Passover and the days of unleavened bread. And the theme was so profound for me that I thought that I should just keep it one more time. <laughs> just keep this theme going one more time. That Jesus Christ is the one who sacrificed his life for us. And we are like we are his disciples, and we have come to him, but we must be planted in death, and we must be coming up as, as new, new creation, a new creation. So we start here in verse 3 of Romans, the sixth chapter. Know you not that so many of us, as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? So that's the baptism. When you go under, you're baptized into Jesus Christ. You're baptized into his death the watery grave that we, we go under. Therefore, we are buried with him in, by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also in the likeness of it be uh, also in the likeness of his resurrection. Um, I remember the uh, baptism. I went in the middle of the winter in January, cold as it could be. I mean, it was really cold outside. And yet, the, the baptismal was in the basement of one of our members. It was nice and warm. And um, the um, pastor at the time, I'm trying to think of his name, uh, can't think of it now, right now. Anyway, the the baptism. I was the only one there. There was no one else. Now, sometimes it's you know there's, a, so I was the only one there that 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 evening, and uh, it was so. Um, looking back on it after all the years I've been in this way, it it was like under and then up, and then the laying on of hands, and then going on with life and all the trials and tribulations of my life. And I think each and every one of us are the same way. Once we come out of that watery grave, then God begins to really work with us. I remember so many things that, have, that happened. Um, I almost drowned once. God was with me, preserved me from that. Um, a couple of times on my job, almost got, you know, very, very badly hurt, and yet I wasn't. He was there. He protected me. And I know it. And I praised him and I, I thanked him for it. He brought me up out of that watery grave to live his way. To understand his truth. To come to understand in a deeper meaning for our life. And for each one of us, after we come out of that baptismal grave, we should be strengthening our 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 relationship with God 
and with the Son, with the Father and the Son. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified, verse 6, with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that hereafter we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that he shall also, um, that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dies no more. Death has no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died to sin once, but in that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, reckon you also yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now that's the true acceptance of Jesus Christ. Not raising your hand, but making the commitment, the baptismal commitment. And then Passover is our renewal of that commitment that we made because we're making a covenant with God. We're making a covenant with our Savior, Jesus Christ. Every year we renew that covenant when we go and we keep the Passover. He says, He says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies, that you should obey it to lust thereof. Neither yield you, uh, you your, your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but yield yourselves to God as those that uh, are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Now, how do you do that? Do you just go back into the world and live as the world lives? No, if you're going to yield yourself to righteousness, you're going to yield yourself to the righteousness of God. And as it says, we, we've come very short of the glory and righteousness of God. And so it's a lifetime thing. He says, know you not. Now let's see. Um, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? God forbid. Know you not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are, to whom you obey, whether to sin to, uh, of sin to death or of obedience to righteousness. And just like those Israelites that were there um, at the parting of the Red Sea, and wanting to go back in to Egypt. Oh, man, we, here they, all this army is out here, and I've seen all of this, and I want to go back. <laughs> no, once we have made this commitment, it is until Christ returns or you know, we, we find um, ourselves being resurrected in the kingdom after, after death. Okay. Let's go to Hebrews 9, 22. I just want to read this one verse. And then we'll come back. Hebrews 9, 22. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without the shedding of blood is no remission. And so consequently, one of the things we begin to understand is the water, the blood, and the spirit. And how, how important each of those three things are in our spiritual 
growth and our spiritual understanding of what God is doing in our life. In Genesis 9, after something changed, and this is very interesting, because something was going on different than, than what happened after Noah came out of the ark, and God gave them some instructions. So beginning in, in Genesis 9, beginning in verse uh, 4 and 5, And let's just, let's pick it up in verse 1. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every fowl of the air and upon all the mo- that moves upon the earth and upon all the fishes of the sea. Into your hand are they delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be meat to you, even as the green herb have I given you all things. But the flesh with with but the flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall you not eat. So right there we're instructed not to eat the blood of those animals, that they are to be completely and totally bled. And, <clears throat> and surely your blood of your lives will I require at the hand of every beast, will I require it and the hand of man, at the hand of every man's brother will I require of the life of man. Who shed, whoso sheds man's blood by man, shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God made he man. Amen. And it is interesting that we have a, in Tulsa, we have a, uh, a, a trial that just finished. Uh, the man's name has been, he's now in death row or will be, as soon as the sentence is finally finished. It's David Ware, who actually uh, shot to death uh, uh, police officer Craig Johnson and, and shot uh, with intent to kill him, Arvash Zarkashan. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing him just, just, just right. And you know, in, in Oklahoma and all of these places, what we do is we want to make sure that they don't feel anything. And that they have no pain whatsoever, even though he shot um, Craig Johnson several times, and probably, and he was still alive while they were putting him in, and died on the way because he was just bleeding to death. You know, once you, once a wound or something, you try to, to, because as soon as that blood starts pouring out, Eventually, you're going to die if it's not stopped and you can't uh, keep it from going. The blood is part of our life. And losing blood is, is, uh, is a death sentence. God gave this to Noah, and man has ignored it for ever since. Um, and well, maybe not in the old days, but recently in modern times we've become so um, so good at it we don't want to take and have a firing squad or although I think one of the somewhere some state now is um, is thinking about bringing the firing squad back but this is this is plain instruction from God and it and the reason was if you kill someone and you cause them to die you should also be killed and he's going to sit in jail now for 
10 years, appealing at least twice, and once to the Supreme Court. And then I think in Oklahoma, we will finally put him to death years and years down the road. I probably won't be alive when, he go, when they put him to death. And somebody said he's truly an evil man, and so he doesn't need to be out on the streets. Years ago, I, uh, I got an opportunity to, to do a prison ministry. And it was quite an interesting opportunity to, to, uh, to do it. Um, we had a, a lady that was uh, putting out literature to prisoners in, in Big Mac in, in McAllister. And the, the, I think it's Jackie Brandon, that's the medium security prison that's next door to it. And you can, you can look out the door and see back, and this is the, the prison that's next door to it. Um, anyway, the, the first time I went into the Mac, and uh, it really, really upset me. I have never been this um, emotionally and uh, upset about anything. But it, you could feel the evil in, in that building. Um, the guy that I wanted to, to talk to, he was in a cell with, a, with, with another guy. And uh, so he came to the, he came to the, uh, to the bars. You're... You're in a hallway, a long hallway, and all these guys are, you know, in there, and they're yelling, and they're throwing things out, and they're doing stuff, and they're making all kinds of weird sounds, and, and so you're just you know, trying to concentrate, and I'm trying to talk to this individual that wanted to see me. He wanted to see a minister. His buddy was in the top bunk, dropped down to the bottom, got back up in the top bunk, dropped down to the bottom, John ran around, got back up in the top bunk. The whole time that I was talking to him, I could watch whoever this guy was in there, jumping back and forth. And I just got to thinking, you know, God never intended for those that commit crimes to be in a prison, in, in, um, like caged animals, because that's what reminded me of. That was a, the guy was like a caged animal in that in that barred prison. And if we took God's advice, um, we would probably reduce crime by a considerable amount. Uh, the first time that one guy uh, kills somebody and, and uh, you you, uh, you put him in prison. And the next guy that kills somebody, that guy dies, and he goes in prison. So that the next guy that gets in prison, he dies. And you just keep, you know, keep doing this until crime kind of reduces down to, to a very minimal amount. Because I'll get the idea that if I go to prison, I'm not going to survive. So maybe I should be more... Uh, but just realize how much crime we have and how much is going on in the society that we live in. And how, how many people are, are involved in the crimes in the society that we live in. And our, the way that we have to deal with them is to lock them up. Now, I don't run them out on the street for my family. I understand that. But it's not ideal. And in the kingdom, it's not going to happen. We're going to be there, and we're not going to allow them to do the kind of crimes that they, that they were doing. Hebrews, the ninth chapter, going back to the one that sacrificed his life for all 
of mankind. You know, I don't know some of these people whether their their souls are gone to the point where they can never repent again. Um, that's up to God. That'll be in the kingdom of God. That will be things that will be worked out in the kingdom. Uh, I sometimes have a hard time seeing through and seeing and understanding. In verse 18, wherefore neither the first um, testament was dedicated without blood or the covenant. The first covenant was, um, was Moses. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of the calves and the goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant. Now, it says testament in the Old Testament in the King James, but it, is, it does mean covenant, which God has enjoined to you. You know, God makes covenants and he sticks with it. Sometimes men are a little different. <laughs> they make a covenant and they sometimes don't stick to their, to, to their agreement. Now, all of us have made an agreement who have been baptized, and, and we need to stick with that agreement. We need to, to stick with it until we are in the kingdom. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And almost all things by law are purged with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. I read that. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but he uh, uh, with these, but heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered into the holy place made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into the heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us, in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters into the holy place every year with the blood of others. And that's on the day of atonement. I think we all understand that. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once at the end of the world, at the end of the age, and that's what that word world means, has he appeared to put away sin for the sacrifice of himself, or by the sacrifice of himself. And is it appointed a man once to die, but after this the judgment? So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and, and to them that look to him shall he appear the second time without sin to salvation. The shed blood of our Savior Jesus Christ is so precious, so very precious. In John, the, the, of course, we're, we're very... Um, cognizant of, of, of John the sixth chapter but I want to read that again just to emphasize what Jesus said and how important it is for us to understand that without Christ we we really don't have that salvation with his sacrifice and our keeping of the Passover every year we renew that covenant with Christ and with the Father he says in in verse um, and I'm just going to read the 53, 54, 55, and 56, since they're all together. Um, it says, Verily I, I, I say to you, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. It is so emphatic that Jesus said, this is something that has to be done. For a true Christian to, to be obedient, he must keep the Passover. He must keep the Passover. 
Whoso eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. That is an agreement to eternal life that Jesus has made with each and every one of us. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed, and he that eats my flesh and drinks my blood dwells in me, and I in him. So, every year that we keep the Passover, we're, we're saying, yes, I want to be in the kingdom. I want eternal life. I want to live on beyond this physical life, this physical body. I want to be in the kingdom of God. I want to be with you, Jesus. I want to be with you, the Father. I want to do whatever you want me to perform and to do. Because I know you have something for me. Already prepared, ready for me. I just don't know what it is yet. And I want to be there so that you can give it to me. And I can be a part of it. So I'm going to keep this every year until my death. Or until Christ returns. I'd love to see Christ return. I'd love to see this world but it's going to be in such turmoil, and it's going to be in... We see this thing going on over in the, in the Ukraine and all of the Russians and everything that's going on and all they're doing. Just to amplify that thousands of times around the world as the armies and different things are beginning, and then, then God puts that, pours out his wrath upon man. I'm not sure that I have the, the, the strength and the willpower to stay through something that um, it says we will, in, you know, there will be great tribulation that has never happened before. Great tribulation. Anyway, let's go on to this next one, which is the spirit. There are three that bear witness. This is the bearing of witness that Jesus is the Son of God. And the Spirit is the one that witnesses all of this. And when it comes into this, we, you know, we have an, uh, an understanding of those things through the, through the Scriptures. Um, there's, a good, there's a good scene in The Chosen about Nicodemus in this. It's, it's really, really... And, you know, they, stay, they, they probably embellished it a little bit. But it really gets to your heart realizing that maybe he really did see something that Christ was trying to teach him. And, and, and it came on him. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no man can, come to the, uh, can do these miracles, and you, and you do except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, say unto you, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now remember, this is a, this, this is a Pharisee and, and um, a student of, of the Torah and, and, the, and the scriptures, so he should know. And here Jesus throws something at him. <laughs> Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time into a mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a man be born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And 
So here we, we enter this, and of course, understanding that the sacrifice of Jesus Christ with the blood. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. That's very basic. And we're flesh and blood. I haven't, I mean, I can still pinch myself. <clears throat> the word spirit means like the wind, pneuma, you know. Marvel not that I said to you must be born again. The wind blows where it lists, and you hear the sound thereof, but can you tell from where it comes and to where it goes? So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can I? How can these things be? Jesus said unto him, Are you a master of Israel and know not these things? That's a very interesting question. Verily, verily, I say unto you, we speak that we know and testify that we have seen, and you receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man has ascended up to heaven, but he that come down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And this believing is, is more than just having an intellectual belief. It is a, a life-changing, uh, a life um, uh, direction belief. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through the world uh, uh, through that the world through him might be saved. He that believes in him is not condemned, but he that believes not is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that does evil hates the light, neither comes to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are, uh, that they are wrought in God. And so that spirit that is given to us opens that up, help us understand that. In Acts 2.38, again, I wanted to read this. Peter then said to them, Repent, that's the first thing. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. Remember, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. And you shall receive the gift of the, of, of the Holy Spirit. I always want to emphasize the word shall. Some people have a tendency to, to you know, wonder if they have received it. But if you've been baptized and, have, and hands laid on you and prayed over you, and the, and the minister asks that that spirit be given to you, you are not to doubt that that spirit is there. It might be small because God gives us that earnest of the spirit, not the full spirit. Um, as Christ, you know, says in the scriptures that Christ had the spirit without measure. Um, he was able to do many, many miracles and much while he was on the earth as a physical human being because that spirit was powerful within him. And he was able to, to reach out and, and touch. You know, even just being touched, um, virtue could go out of him. 
And so this is something very much to be uh, understood, that that Holy Spirit is a gift from God. When you accept Christ as your personal uh, Savior and you are baptized. For the promises in you too and your children and all that are afar off, as, as many as the Lord our God shall call. And so there is a calling too that goes along with it. One of the most beautiful, most powerful scripture uh, chapters uh, about the Spirit is Romans, the eighth chapter. Um, I like to go back and read it over and over again because I, I, I really want to understand the power of the Spirit inside, what it's doing, how it's working in us, and, and, and I want to get rid of the carnal mind that seems to always be there in some way or some fashion or some form. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. And I'm thankful for that. Praise the Lord. For the law of the Spirit, for the law of, uh, of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Um, if you committed adultery, you you um, uh, you know transgressed the Sabbath, you killed someone, all of those were penalties of death. There was no other way out. There was nothing else. You, you died. Um, that penalty was there until Christ came to give us uh, freedom from that. Now, there's forgiveness, but if you commit a carnal crime, you will pay the price. You may live, you may, you may be in jail, uh, but there is forgiveness because of the blood of Jesus Christ if you accept and you, you are willing to repent and change. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. <laughs> If you're going to have the righteousness of the law or the righteous requirements of the law, you're going to have to live by it. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is peace. Is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it's not subject to the laws of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But of the Spirit of him that, dwell, uh, that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken, make alive, Make alive. That word quicken means make alive your mortal bodies by, the, by his spirit that dwells in you. So how important is the spirit that dwells in us? It is so very important because in that day, that's, that's what will be resurrected and we will, will you know, we'll come into the kingdom. Therefore, brethren, we are not debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For we live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you live through the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. 
For as many of you as led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption or sonship whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And so, and all of this will be brought out on Pentecost and maybe a lot more in depth about that day and everything, but I wanted to just keep that theme going and help us to understand that to overcome the world is to get closer to God, to get closer to Christ to get closer to God's Word, to get closer to understanding His truth, to get closer to understanding um, his rela- your relationship with Him and His relationship with you, to get closer to those things. Christ overcame the world. <laughs> That's a fact. <laughs> he, over- he says, I've overcome this world, and I'm going to the Father. And He lives at the right hand of the Father. And He's there now. 24-7 for us to come to his, you know, and pray and, and ask God for help. And, uh, and he's our advocate, he's our high priest, and all the things that he, um, that he does for us. And, and I wrote down, we also can overcome this world through Jesus Christ. We also can overcome this world. And if you haven't been encouraged about what we have ahead of us, and I'm not going to read all of them, I just pick one. The things that God has set aside to reward His children are so fantastic and so wonderful and so profound. And, and there's, there's seven things that are listed, and I know that's probably not everything that God has in store for us. But Jesus wanted to leave an encouragement to all of us to be overcomers, to overcome this world, to live a life for Christ, to live our lives um, as Christ lived, to the best of our ability, to the best of what God is teaching us, to the best of, of what that spirit is leading us inside. So in Revelation, the third chapter, in just one of these most powerful, most wonderful things that is going to be given to us is just this one uh, verse, he that overcomes, the same shall be clothed in white raiment. And that's purity. That's beautiful, pure people. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. But I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Can you imagine yourself standing in the sea of glass, and Jesus confessing your name before the Father and all of the angels that are round about. And they are rejoicing and singing. I don't know if we, I don't know as spirit beings if we'll be crying, but as a physical being, I know that I would not be able to hold it back. And so maybe as spirit beings, we'll have spiritual crying that day when our name is confessed before the Father and the angels because we have overcome the world.